Welcome back to the Health Longevity Secret Show, and I'm your host, Dr. Robert Lufkin. Therapeutic carbohydrate restriction is no longer a fringe practice and is now increasingly recognized for its value in diabetes, obesity, neurodegenerative disease, stroke, heart disease, and even some cancers. Clinical guidelines and a standard of care about the practice will help accelerate this change. Doug Reynolds is the founder and CEO of Low Carb USA and president of the Society of Metabolic Health Practitioners. Low Carb USA provides a platform for scientists and medical practitioners to present the ever-increasing body of evidence on the benefits of reducing carbohydrates in the diet. It has now evolved into one of the primary resources for the low-carb community. The Society for Metabolic Health Practitioners is a nonprofit for practitioners focused on metabolic health. They have a panel of advisors which oversee and maintain the creation of a set of guidelines for therapeutic carbohydrate restriction and also help establish a standard of care around carbohydrate restriction. And now, please welcome Doug Reynolds. Hi, Doug. Welcome to the show. Hey, Rob. Very much for having me. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm so excited to uh, spend this time with you and talk about so many interesting things. I, I think um, you and I sh- share a common vision of, of educating people about the importance of metabolic health and, and its overall value. But before we dive into that, perhaps you, you could take a moment and set the stage and tell us how you how you came to be uh, come uh, involved with such a fascinating area. Yeah, well, you know, I think that I started out basically. I was a, a distance runner. I wasn't an, an elite athlete, but I I was pretty good. You know, I've, with the ultra marathon in South Africa called the Comrades Marathon. I finished in the top 100 a couple of times out of a field of 14,000, 15,000. Um, but I was still, I don't know, two and a half hours or something behind the, the behind the winner. So um, not an elite guy, but but pretty decent athlete. And um, as I was, as a, when I'm in my 30s, I could, you know, I could eat whatever I wanted and I was felt like I was bulletproof. But as I started to get older, mid 40s or whatever, I started putting on weight. You know, like each year I would put on a couple of pounds. It was almost like you didn't notice it. But I, it never came off, no matter how much I ran. And um, I got it. I got a fright. One day I got on the scale and it was like 35 pounds or so over my, what I call my fighting weight, like the weight that I used to be like all the time without struggling um, and I was horrified and it was it was amazing like literally a couple of days later I got an email from someone actually trying to sell me exogenous ketones and um, the, the subject was uh, ketones an alternative fuel source of fuel to glucose and it, it was just at the right time for me and um, so I started investigating it. I didn't even know what a ketone was. I was 51 years old. I did not know what a ketone was. And I started for about three weeks, I dropped everything and I basically dove into this and I, and I was studying it. 
And at the end of the time, I mean, this was a brand new company that these guys were trying to push on me and they had even run out of product. So I couldn't even order it if I wanted to, but I'd learned so much about it. And I was thinking like, surely like doing this naturally is, is, is better anyway. Um, and so I pulled the trigger and I dragged Pam to the, to the store, which horrified her. And she was even more horrified that I had a list. And, uh, uh, you know, we walked around and I started putting all the stuff in the basket that was like freaking her out, you know, um, all the fatty feet, uh, meat and full cream yogurt and all, uh, all the stuff that, that uh, we obviously avoided like the plague before. And um, I still even remember the very first thing I did was a couple of ribeye steaks that I went outside and cooked on the fire. And um, I came back in. I was so used to this really meat that I used to eat. And I had this fatty, big fatty steak on my plate. And there was literally flat fat, like slushing around in the bottom of the plate. And I started giggling. Like, it was like, am I seriously going to eat this thing, you know? Um, but I believed what I'd learned from all this scientific, uh, you know, information that I'd consumed over the last three weeks. And, and so I went ahead and I literally had to gag it down. And um, I was, I programmed my brain so much against fat that it literally, I had this gag reflex. And, but like I got halfway take and I was like, wait a minute, this actually tastes pretty good, you know? And I don't, I don't think I've ever looked back since then, you know? Um, I, we, we learned as we went along and, um, over five months, I lost the 35 pounds that I that I put on, um, and a, but a bunch of other conditions that I had, respiratory conditions, and you know some skin conditions, and all sorts of little things. Pain in my knees um, that was sore, even if I wasn't running, um, that cleared up completely. Um, and I started really enjoying running again. You know, I was I got back on the road. And I wasn't hating life anymore because I I wasn't overweight and I and I didn't have painful knees. Um, I could breathe better. It was uh, it, it was just incredible. And beginning of uh, in January 2016, it was my birthday, and we'd been out with friends from work, and uh, we didn't talk about keto with them because they were so sick of hearing it. They didn't want to hear it anymore. But once they'd all left, Pam and I were sitting there and we obviously there's like nothing else to talk about, like except keto, right? Um, and while we were thinking like, how is it that I didn't know about this? I didn't even know what a ketone was, as I said. So I can reach the age of 51 and not even know about this. Um, and there's obviously a lot of people out there like me. And so how can we help? And that was, that was where it all started. You know, I mean, we, um, I got up the next morning, we, we, the work that we were in, I had, uh, one of the things that we did was put on these big conferences. So I, I knew how to put on a conference. Um, when there were all these conferences, or not all of these, a couple of conferences around the country, but they were all really small at that time. Um, and I thought, I was pounding my fists and saying, Japan, we need to put a thousand people in the room, not a hundred. Um, and so I started the next day, I started writing to a couple of people and, um, 
I had never been to a low carb conference. I didn't know anybody in the space. And I wrote to a few people, Jimmy Moore, um, Gary Taubes, Steve Finney, and Jeff Folick, I think, were the, were the first four, the four people I wrote to. I thought, if I can get a, a core of, of well-known speakers, then I've got something to build on. You know? Jimmy got back to me within like 10 minutes and said, how can I help you? And I said, well, I don't know anybody. So he introduced me to a bunch of the, of the people on the speaking circuit. And most of them ag agreed, said, yeah, if you put it on, we're coming. And uh, Stephanie didn't know who I was and kind of said, don't you want to rather put your money into uh, some research or something like that? And I said, well, I don't have any money. But um, Jeff eventually agreed to come. But the turning was Gary Taubes. And he... You know, I mean, and I found all of them just by looking them up on their website and, and filling in the contact us form thing. And I went backwards and forwards with Gary a couple of times and he said, just fill me out, you know. And eventually he asked if I could have an, a, a phone call with him. And I was sitting on the phone with him, very aware of how much he charged for, for his time. And... um it was like, I always tease him when I introduce him when, to come up on the stage, I tease him and say like, it was like I'd asked to marry his daughter or something. It was like, like an inquisition, you know? But he told me afterwards, like he'd literally been invited to, to go and speak at places where they'd agreed to and did pay his fee. But there was only a handful of people at, at the event, you know? And um, he just wanted to make sure that, that I knew what I was doing. And so at the end of it, he said, okay, if you put this on, I will, I'll come and speak. And uh, I put down the phone and Pam was, I was ahead on speaker and Pam was kind of standing in, in the corridor, like listening. And I put the phone down and I looked at her and I said, shit, like this is for real now, you know? And that was, I think the turning point for me was like the fact that I had that conversation with him, that he believed in me and what I was trying to do enough to say, okay, if you get this going, well, I'll come and be a part of it. Um, yeah, I mean, I had to establish a, uh, a website, a social media presence. Um, we had nothing. And yeah, Gary, the, Gary's such an amazing person. Just want to note, I mean, if if you haven't, if our listeners, our audience hasn't read any of his books, uh, we, we've heard many of the speakers in this program talk about Gary Topps, what an amazing guy he is. I. I was, I'm lucky enough to, I've known Gary for about 30 years. We go way back. And even he, I have to admit, he's probably one of the smartest guys I've ever met. And in his books, no matter what the subject are, and lately they've been right on metabolic health the last mm -hmm. 10, 20 years or so, but he's just such a great writer. And then beyond that, like you say, he is a great human being. Uh, he's just a really, a really nice guy. So yeah, yeah. Anyway, he's, been, yeah. he's been so supportive of us, you know, and, and that really, that was where we, we got the, the confidence to say, wow, that we can, we can actually make this happen. You know? But as I said, we had nothing. And so I, we put that on in six months from zero I was going to say from zero to hero, but not so much hero, but, but from zero, from nothing to having an event. We didn't put a thousand people in the room. We had, but we got like 350 or something. And um, 
people, I say people had to talk me down off the ledge a bit because I was disappointed that we didn't get what we were aiming for. But at the same time, if you compare it to what had was around at the time, it was way bigger than anything else that had, that had, that had gone before us. And um, everybody that came was just so excited. And they were all saying, like, when's the next one, you know? And it was like, nah, this, this was it. Like, we, were, we wanted to put on a conference. And I was no, no, when's the next one? So I literally stayed up the whole way through Saturday night uh, of that conference creating a quick event page on our website for the fire. And I, you know, I basically gave people a week from that Sunday um, to sign up again for half price. Um, sight unseen, right? We don't know who the speakers are going to be, but just on the faith that we do as, as good a job as we did this time or better, hopefully. Um, yeah, and we sold like 84 tickets or something, and that actually helped us to, uh, you know, to pay the bills for that that was still outstanding for to put out in that first event. Um, and, and then people asked us to come to Florida and East Coast and all of that kind of stuff. So in the end, in the January, the following year, we put on, uh, we put on one in Florida. And now this last one that we did in San Diego was, I think, our 15th conference or something. We've done one in, in Jakarta and Indonesia, took a few speakers over there, which was an amazing experience. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that's how Low Carb USA came, came to be. It was, uh, it was amazing. Yes. It's such a fantastic conference. If, uh, if uh, our, anyone in our audience hasn't, hasn't tried it yet, definitely uh, look at your calendar. Uh, I enjoyed the San Diego conference uh, um, in the, and, and all the speakers are first class. And it's just, but above and beyond the speakers, it's a great social environment. Yeah. It's a great way to meet people. It's kind of a community. You feel like you've uh, found your home sort of, uh, but you, you, do, you do a great job on that and what what are the upcoming ones uh that are currently on the schedule now right so we we have uh 14th to the 16th of january is uh the one in boca raton um and then the next san diego one is is i forget the i think it's the 25th to the 28th of august last week mm -hmm. last weekend in august um is the that's like our flagship event um it's it's longer it's four days instead of three days and we have a, normally have more breakout talks and um bigger expo and stuff like that but um the san diego uh, the, the florida one is is always nice because it's a little smaller but it's much much more intimate and people get a chance to like everybody comes to dinner there it's not like an, an add-on um and, you know, folks get the chance to sit with the speakers and, and chat with them in a more informal environment. And um, it's, a, it, it's just an, a really cool vibe that, that always comes out of, the, out of the Florida one. And it was actually there that, uh, that that whole concept of community kind of became, well, we became aware of how important it was. Um, you know, I because it was I'd done it before, and it was much smaller, and and the expo was like right outside the hall itself. So I was sitting working, and they were still setting up, and and some people were coming in to register. I was sitting on the end of the registration table, but I could I 
I was trying to look up and smell the roses kind of thing. I was listening to the conversations of people, how excited they were to be there. And, you know, the one girl was literally in, in tears saying like, I'm a, I'm a health coach and this is what I'm, but I'm, I'm trying to do this for my own health. My doctors are telling me I'm going to kill myself. My friends are, are you know, a lot of them not even speaking to me anymore. Um, and I, I shouldn't even be here, you know, uh, because I, I look at me, I'm, I'm still overweight and I'm supposed to be teaching people to lose weight. And Pam said, no, man, like, just come and stay and, and, and see what, what, you know, learn from these people. And we just noticed her growth through that weekend. Um, and she left, like, so inspired to go out there and, and help people again. And she said, you know, it's like, it's like I've got my family here now. Like, I can, I can talk to people about the problems I'm having and why I'm not losing that last bit of weight and whatever. And I'm not getting shouted at and being told that I need to stop doing this because I'm going to kill myself, you know. Um, and that was when I realized, like, this, the community part of it was so important for people to have a safe place to come to, come to, to be able to, to learn about it and talk about it without fear of, of judgment and, you know, and, and <laughs> threatened violence almost. That's, you know, like they, they, um, they, they felt safe. And then it became even more aware of the fact that the doctors needed it even more than the, than, than the, the, uh, the, the patients, you know, that they, that they themselves were, were out in the wilderness because they couldn't go and talk about, they go to their local, um, uh, organization meeting, annual meeting or whatever like that. And, and they might be the only one there that, that is, is practicing this way. And they can't talk about it because they get sometimes even in trouble, you know, for, for talking about the fact that this is what they're advocating for some of their patients when it's, when it's appropriate. And um, so it's really cool for them to have a place where they can come and talk about it with their with their colleagues and um, and learn and you know have the whole weekend of stuff where it's it's appropriate to their way of practicing. They go to any of their other meetings and they're not learning about metabolic health and uh, lifestyle interventions um, as opposed to medication. They go to all these other things and it's all about the medications that can help all these chronic diseases that, 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 that they're trying to fight, you know? Um, so yeah, it, 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 it became more and more important to us to cultivate that community, that sense of community and, and create a, a place where people um, could be safe. I think that's, uh, so that was, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that, 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 that's amazing. We'll put all the links to the show notes there. As you were talking, we'll, we'll have all the shows that, links down there of all the information. But okay. yeah, it, 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 it's so important to have that place where information can get out, where people can get things. Because like you say, at the, the sort of professional, so many of the medical meetings, they're funded and driven by... Big unlimited amounts of money from the pharmaceutical industry right. and and other you know another special interest in the food industry as as well and Correct. this space the interesting thing about this I mean 
we talked about this in some of the other presentations, but I can write a prescription for insulin in about, you know, a minute or two uh, in my office. But for me to explain um, a lifestyle change that will accomplish the same thing for the patient and not require them to get the insulin it it could take 20 minutes or or or, or even longer and the point right. is it won't cost them anything and there's no there's no drug company that's going to benefit from it so all the incentives are aligned towards sadly towards prescribing drugs and and or surgery and and this sort of thing and and the the beautiful thing about lifestyle and metabolic health is that it can be done at low cost um, for the patient but the but the 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 thing we're facing is that it's hard to get uh, wealthy uh, wealthy interests that necessarily will sponsor it. I, right. I, I'm thinking, you know, Coca-Cola sponsors the Olympics. What's that? A sugar drink for athletes, but yeah. you know, billion millions of dollars. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. But, yeah, but I mean, that's you know, that's what, especially distance athletes. I mean, that's what you grow up on. You you you, know, you you believe that that's what you need to drink in order to be able to function as it. You know, and you have to keep drinking it through the race and everything because if you don't, you're gonna bonk. You know, you're gonna run out of energy, which is true. If you if if you're a, a you know an, an athlete that operates on carbs. There's so much that we're learning now about the, the fat adapted athletes that uh, that don't require that. You know that actually can run a marathon on just water, because oh, they're. Oh, is that right? Uh, yeah, it, it's it's it, there's there's some incredible stuff going on there with that now. You know, and, and it, it, but there's only a few of them that are doing that, and you know, you know, people like Steve Finney and Jeff that are doing um, that are doing research in that in this in this area. But I think it's 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 slowly as as some of the really, really successful athletes, it comes out that they are, that's how they are functioning. Um, more people will start to take it seriously. And, uh, you know, it's, it's like everything with, with this whole lifestyle thing. It's like, it, it, it's, it's like walking through treacle. It's taking a long time to get it going, but at some point it's going to hit this threshold. And, and, and I believe in time become the de facto way to to live and to train as an athlete. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just not to get off track here, but for, for long distance running, is there any value if you're fat adapted, is there any value for carbo loading, carb loading now? Is that a no well, no. There they are they, there's some people, and I still believe that it's the people that are that still can't get their brain uh over the fact that, that, that this is possible, you know? So they train like this, but then when they get to the race, they say, oh, no, you have to trickle some carbs in. Um, you know, especially for distance races, you, you, can't, you can't train for something and, and see what your performance is like and then re repeat that. And, you know, you can't do it a trial. And and do and do the opposite, like do it on carbs once and then fat adapted the other time, because it takes you months, sometimes years, to train for this event, and and then you know that on that particular day, the weather and your biorhythms and all sorts of things, you could do, you just cannot compare it. Whereas yeah. a sprinter or something like that, like he can literally look at his times and see how it, that it's actually coming down, you know. And so there's there's a way to really to, to uh, 
to check that out. Whereas for a distance athlete, and the longer the distance, the more difficult it is to try and repeat something, you know, trying different things. So it's really got to be about looking at the, at the biochemistry and looking at the biology and looking at the science and believing in it. Um, and I believe that uh, if you are properly adapted, that taking taking some kind of glucose or something before the race is actually going to do you more harm than good. Because like, mm. you, you know, you are aware of it, the fact that if you, like this whole thing about if you're in keto, and you, uh, and you, and you have a, a high carb meal. It kind of you kind of drop out of ketosis for a bit, right? So if you if you get the the morning before the race and you have a a, a thing a bowl of oatmeal or something like that, um, I think that all your fat adaptation now is, is out the window. And so now you're basically back to where you started and you're running th through that race and you're going to be taking carbs through the race and, and you're running on carbs again. And you've, you've just undone all the work you've done to get fat adapted. Um, but there isn't any really good uh, trial or scientific you know, research or anything that's been done in this. I think it's, it's more what, what we believe. And, or, and what we believe based on what we've learned from as much research as we've done into, um, as I said, the biology and the biochemistry of how, how everything works. So I, at, at best, there's the, the idea that you need to, and they literally talk about like sucking a, a boiled sweet, having a boiled sweet under your tongue or something, and letting that, that trickle of, of glucose um, into your system as you as you uh, as you're running you know maybe i don't believe it would but maybe maybe it does and one day there'll be some research that actually that actually shows that but um i, I don't know i don't believe it yeah um, yeah i mean yeah it's fairly specialized and difficult to get that data we're still people are still arguing about just what regular people should eat. We have a, we have a long, long way to go on that. Well, well, it, it's tremendous what you've done with low carb USA. It's such a great service to, to everyone to have that available for them. So the, the next step beyond low carb USA, the, the next step in your journey was to um, put together a uh, go beyond uh, an annual conference, but actually put together a scientific uh, medical society. And that's, that's really exciting because that can do things that, that the conference can't do. Definitely. Yeah. So, I mean, that, you know, that, that was a progression as well. I mean, it started out with Gary Tubbs. In fact, like I was talking to him about coming back to do uh, the 2018 event, I think. And he asked, he suggested that we have a session um, to actually have practitioners in the audience come and talk about their their experiences in trying to do this in practice, you know, and what what their difficulties were and, and um, successes and failures and, and stuff. And it helped him because it was the subject of his of his next book. Um, but I got to to have him do his own talk plus a second session, right? So I, I got to keep him, keep him there for, for longer. Um, and he got a, he introduced me to Adele Hyde, who 
um, he suggested we get her to mediate the thing. And he'd obviously been talking to her a lot about this offline. And, and so I got hold of her and she just, I, I, she just gave me this brain dump, you know, of all these things like she had in her head of how she, like her vision of, of where this whole metabolic health space should be down the road, you know? Um, and she talked about, uh, a malpractice suit that she was on the jury for and that at the end of it a that the judge had to explain to the jury what standard of care meant and um it, i actually pulled it up there since since we said we might we might talk about this but basically um what he told this is the legal definition in the US of standard of care. The standard of care is defined as providing healthcare in accordance with the standards of practice among members of the same healthcare profession with similar training and experience and situated in the same or similar communities at the time the healthcare is rendered. In other words, standard of care does not come from what is taught in professional training, from public health policy, or even from clinical care guidelines. Although these can inform and help define a standard of care. Rather, standard of care comes from what a community of clinicians do in the actual provision of care. So it's, a, it's an intangible thing. And it's really at the end of the day, if the judge needs to understand it, he's gonna call in 500 doctors and say, given this situation, what would you do? And whatever the consensus is, that is standard of care. And it evolves over time, you know, which is which, which makes sense because we learn, supposedly we learn stuff all the time, although there's so many doctors that hear about this low-carb thing and still stick their hands, heads in the sand and refuse to, to take it on board. But some of those things started to jump out to me because in the beginning it was just such a huge thing that she was talking about, about trying to do, to establish care, an alternative standard of care around carbohydrate restriction so we're not even going to say they're wrong and we're right just our metabolisms people that don't eat carbs the ones that are fat adapted our metabolism is different so the same standards shouldn't apply to us um and they but there isn't in a recognized standard for outside of the current standard of care um, and she said the very first thing that, that we do need, even though it doesn't in, a, in and of itself, it's not standard a, a document, the standard of care document, but a set of clinical guidelines would be a really great starting point. And she had been wanting to do this for ages, but just never had the tools and the wherewithal to be able to do it. And that was where we, we came together, right? Because... Um, I had access to by that stage so so many of the people like high profile people in this in this space, and so we put a, a, a panel of uh, advisors together. That was I think there was fifteen people, really you know high profile people, Tim Noakes and um, uh, Eric Westman and and uh, um, what's his name um, Dave Unwin in the UK um, and Gary Fetke and like really prominent people and she basically like i'm an engineer right so she just she said you're not a, ph a physician she kicked me out the door and she's 
I just provided the the um, the, the the playpen and the space for her to work. And then she basically wrote this document and she bounced it off this, this pe- panel until everybody agreed that 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 it was at a place where we, where we could publish it. And then at that time, I published it on on the Lockhart USA website. And it actually got a lot of traction and a lot of people saw it, but it, it really wasn't the right place. And I tried to implement um, the concept of a professional membership in, in Low Carb USA to try and create these communities of physicians and, and practitioners that where they could have these discussions around these guidelines. Um, and in essence, eventually, you know, they, they, those discussions would form the consensus that would become standard of care. But it just it just wasn't the right place for it, and it, it just didn't it didn't take off at all. I mean, the, the, the guidelines were out there, and they 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 went far and wide, um, but it just didn't go any further than that. And then Dr. Trocolasian, are you familiar with him from the yes. Low Carb MD podcast, right? So he started writing stuff on Twitter about uh, oh, we need a professional community for that for us a carb doctors and stuff and. I got hold of him and um, said, look, like we already have this concept in Lockhart USA, but it's not working. So what do we need to do? And we got on the phone and chatted a lot and then eventually kind of decided that the best way to do this was to create and establish a proper nonprofit organization, medical organization that was an umbrella for all of these people that were open to carbohydrate reduction. And in fact, um, you know, so I got a board of directors there, including um, Rob Silas and, and Eric Westman. In fact, I think it was Eric's uh, terminology that we ended up focusing on in describing the organization. And we we moved away from the, the talk about keto and low carb and carbohydrate reduction and all of those things and focused on metabolic health. So you'll notice that the Society of Metabolic Health Practitioners, right? And um, we, we focus on metabolic health and how to achieve that. And yes, you know, some kind of carbohydrate reduction is, is for the most part a, a, a way to get there, but it's not necessarily the only way. And that's, I think, what I like about this is that it's open to anybody that can come and show us evidence that a certain protocol of any kind contributes to improved metabolic health of any kind um, is welcome in the space, right? Let's let's learn. It's not for everyone. I think it's for, I personally believe it's for most people, but it's not for everyone. And uh, we have to be open to that and we have to learn how do we how do we help those other people to, to maybe be maybe not optimally healthy but healthier than than they are metabolically, um, and so yeah I mean so now, then we migrated the, the the clinical guidelines into the SMHP, um, and I think Adele is like beside herself she's so excited because. Um, this, I think it took a long time to get there and it took a long time to get my brain there. But I think that was what she was, um, 
what she had had envisaged all along. Um, but she was wise enough to to um, to not overwhelm me completely. And and let's start here with the clinical guidelines and build from that. And it, and the whole thing, the evolution of it, um, kind of it just became a natural progression. And we've, uh, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I've done a lot of stuff in my life, but um, I'm pretty proud of this. It's, um, I think we've, we're doing a lot of good and it's, um, it's helping a lot of people. Well, and if you think about it, and I'm, I'm from the traditional medical institutions, I, I, a medical school faculty professor my whole career, basically, mm -hmm. that's all I do is traditional medicine. And what you've identified here and creating this organization to to go after this metabolic health, I would submit it's the number one health problem we face in the world. Mm -hmm. I mean, beyond COVID, beyond anything else, I looking agree. at diabetes, obesity, and all the related disease, dyslipidemia, hypertension, uh, heart disease, stroke, dementia, Everything. some cancers, you know, you know, the list. Uh, yeah. And, and it even goes beyond that. But, but this is such an important problem. And this society is positioned right to it. I don't know why, you know, more, I don't know why more people aren't behind this and why it's not growing faster than it already is. It's, it's a, it's a big issue about awareness. And what yeah. So I, th I think the, 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 you know, I think the people, the people that hear about it, get excited and, and climb on board. It's, it's a matter of people hearing about it, you know, and um, we, we still fairly small and we do, we, you know, the funds are still growing, but we need we need a lot of money at the end to actually put, I think, to put behind eventually advertising and stuff like that to to, to get the message out there. Because it, it, people are literally coming on board as fast as they as our reach is is growing organically slowly. And as we reach people, they think, wow, this is a good idea. And then they come and um, they either join up as a, as a, they can add their list to it or as a provider for nothing, or they can join um, the membership, have access to um, some amazing grand. So we've got a series of grand round talks we do like every every month, and then we package them together in blocks of six to provide people with uh, continuing education credits for uh, I think it's 10, 10 credits per module. Um, so as a member, you get access to that for free. We're busy um, uh, designing and eventually hope put together a, um, a, a uh, what's it called? Uh, uh, a journal. Oh. So, so uh, we will start where we will be collecting case reports and, and, and stuff like that. But, um, you know, there'll be a charge for people to, to submit something to the journal, but if you're a member, then you get to to submit for for free. Um, uh, and so, and then there's this whole concept of accreditation. So people can there's we defined a whole bunch of of different pathways that people can follow to show their competence. And once once they've achieved that, um, they we get a special badge that they can display um, 
that is displayed in the provider list for them automatically, but they can put it on their uh, stationary or whatever website if they if they choose to. Um, and they can use the credentials MHP for metabolic health practitioner. Um, and yeah, I mean that like every day I get a couple of, of uh, new applications now of people that have gone through the training. You know, in the beginning it was like slow, like we had three. <laughs> and um, I went through all the training myself. And I, I think I was one of the first people. And then I had, we had a couple of people that just got stuck in and they just, uh, you know, within two weeks they were, they were already up there and then it kind of stayed there but all the people were i didn't realize it but everyone was really excited but they were all working on this on getting through the training or or writing these big essays or whatever it is that they needed to do um and now recently it's, it's like all of those people are starting to come on board so we're getting this trickle every day of a few more people applying like they've they've done what they needed now here's all the stuff up and put in the application to get accredited. I think we've got like 50 people accredited now already, which is, uh, which is very cool. That's, uh, that's, yeah, that's so exciting. I, I love that you're doing the journal too and uh, building out the scientific uh, part of it. I, I hope you're considering having uh, scientific sessions at the, you know, given COVID and everything, but it's resolving maybe a joint session with low carb San Diego or something where you'd have scientific posters and papers presented from this society. Cause you can get so, a lot of, uh, yeah. Yeah. I think so. We can, we can try and do that and, and work out how that might look. One of the other things that we're talking about doing is putting on an actual medical conference um, under the, uh, you know, um, Tro actually was, has been aching to have, have, one at least in in New York, so I, I think we're thinking that 2022 is going to be too soon. But maybe 2023 would we'll do a, but instead of a low carb USA one, it'll be a medical grade conference for, um, under the umbrella of the SMHP um, in New York. Will be the first one, and maybe what we'll do then is like each year we'll have it, but it'll be like rotate around different cities through throughout the, the US or something. Um, and maybe, and I mean, it's an international organization. So maybe even, uh, you know, one year we might have it somewhere else in the world, like in the UK or, or something else. Um, who knows? I mean, you know, I, I started out trying to put on one conference and now and look where we are. Um, I think if I had even had an inkling of how much, we were going to end up doing, I wouldn't have had the strength to, to get started. So it was good that we started small. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, we've just grown into it as we, as you get, as you get comfortable. And that's always like, every time I'm starting to get comfortable with the amount of work and the amount of stuff that we, that we're doing, someone will come up with another idea and I was like, nah. And then it starts like percolating <laughs> in my brain. It's like, yeah, actually we should do that. You know, um, it is always like, no, I don't want to take on any more work. I've got enough. But uh, but then yeah, you find more efficient ways of doing the stuff you're already doing so that it doesn't take you quite as long anymore. And so you, you make bandwidth to do to get more stuff done. Yeah, no. that's so exciting. I can't wait for, for those conferences coming up. That's going to be uh, that it, it's an exciting time in this whole space and, and in medicine in particular. But this the metabolic health is just, uh, you know, it's expanding. What, why do you think there is such 
Um, given it is expanding, but it's not expanding as fast as we did. Why do you think there's such pushback from traditional medicine? I mean, we see, you know, um, things are, you know, there's pushback on diets. There's politicization. You were mentioning of Ivor Cummins and his thing. That's a whole nother deal. But even within diets, there's, you know, between the paleo and the, you know, the animal plant sections, there's a, there's a politicization and less so between high fat, you know, uh, low fat, low carb, but there's, there's still this, what, what do you, why isn't there, what is the pushback um, on metabolic health? You know, I, I, um, I, I actually struggle to, to understand it myself. It's like, how can, how can anyone look at the results and not believe that, that there's something to this? You know, I mean, Brian Lenskes is the other half of the Low Carb MD podcast that we talked about. I mean, he came to our conference and. 2017 or 18 and he had been secretly doing it on his own because he was struggling you know he was getting sick and fat and sick following the advice that he was giving his own patients and then he learned about the low carb thing and tried it and fasting as well through Jason Fung and was having amazing results and people were asking him what he was doing he was saying oh, no, just some some new diet you know um, and then he came to our event and saw all of these speakers and you know international people talking about it and realized like whoa this is like this is real and he went back and then like literally that monday he started talking to his patients not approaching them about it but when they asked him how come you're looking so good doc like he would say okay if you really want to know then this is what i'm doing and if you you need to go back and learn about it some more but if you want to do this um, I will support you and I'll help you. Um, and he reached out. To, I didn't even see him at the event. I didn't know him at that stage. And he reached out to me in, in November and we ended up meeting for lunch somewhere. And, and he was sitting there and this is like five months later. And he said, you know, Doug, he said, I've been in, well, there was more than 20 years that he'd been practicing. And he said, I'd never, ever taken a patient off insulin. He said, in the last five months, I've had 11 patients come off insulin. And he said, I didn't take them off insulin. They took themselves off insulin. All I did was show them how they needed to change their lifestyles and help them to, to get that done. Five, 11 patients in five months from zero in 20 years. And I even, I was, I was interviewed on that, on that movie Fat Fiction. And I said, I, I was saying like, how is it possible that people can look at that and not believe that there's that there's something worth at least investigating and looking at or trying to understand like how this is possible and when they start doing that they will start to see all and then you know brian's a little example but there's there's docs out there doc Sivas, robert Sivas has been doing this for for donkey's years as well also like on this like just with his patients he, he's given up trying to talk about it as at his um bariatric surgeons conferences and obesity medicine conferences because people were, were literally attacking him for it. And so he withdrew and he, and he just, but he just, he still worked with his patients. He's got thousands of, of patients now of, you know, stories and that, that, that um, of, of all these successes that he's had with us. Like he said, I'm trying to put myself out of business. 
he's a bariatric yeah. surgeon. He says, I would, you know, people, I teach people this. And most of the time, a lot of the time, they don't even end up needing the surgery. Um, yeah. But if people, that, that information, especially nowadays, is more and more and more of that information out there. How is it possible that a doctor can, can be, be faced with all this evidence? And still absolutely categorically refused to believe it's right. And even in, in times like attack those people, threaten to take them to court, all this kind of stuff. I mean, that kind of stuff's going on all the time. How yeah. is that possible? Yeah. I just, I just I don't understand it. I literally cannot understand it. Other than they are so brainwashed from, from their training that they cannot believe that they went through 12 years of training or whatever to end up here and everything, at least about metabolic disease, about uh, chronic diseases, that everything they learned was, was wrong. Um, and they just cannot get their brain around that. Yeah, they, they, they just believe it. It, it. it absolutely, this is how it is, because this is what I was taught. And everything else is just bullshit. And so these guys are, these guys are heathens. And how, how else do you explain it? I, I don't know. Yeah, let me let me highlight a couple things you said. It, it, I, I love the stories of the surgeons are going back like Phil Ovedia, who's uh, yeah. on the program and he has his new book coming out. Uh, Stay off my table. He's a he's a car- cardiothoracic surgeon who's Correct. now yeah. teaching patients about heart health through metabolic health. Mm-hmm. So that they don't need surgery, it, it, it's a great thing. And then, and then you touched on the the idea of deep prescri- deep prescribing. A deep prescription is such such an amazing thing, and it's made power made possible through largely in this case through metabolic health things. Not only the the diabetes medicines or type two diabetes, which is revolutionary, but also for hypertension, for for statins, for dyslipidemia. We're seeing you know patients come off those all the time with mm. uh, with with restoring metabolic health. And, and that may be one reason we're getting pushback from, you know, from vested interests, certainly that sell those things. Uh, right. So, be. so, so the, you know, I mean, there's, there's that huge pressure. There's the, uh, the sugar industry, as you, you mentioned on the nutrition side, they're, they're pushing back against this whole concept all the time, but then the pharmaceutical industry as well. It's like, if we make everybody healthy, then, then, you know, I mean, if, if you stop everybody taking all these diabetes medications, there's pharmaceutical companies that regard a business like overnight. Um, and, and so the, and they're seeing that. And so they, they have active campaigns to try and um, undermine everything that, w- that we're doing all the time. That's what we're fighting against. Um, and maybe, you know, the, the, they, the education of, fake education or whatever it is that they put out there and they inundate these doctors with it all the time saying these guys are talking rubbish and this is you know this is how it is like how, how you've been taught is right and you know here's the next better medication or whatever and and so maybe it keeps those those doctors who are non-believers on the on the line all the time you know maybe it contributes to that yeah we, uh, we- and we touched on this when we talked about the standard of care. And also you mentioned it briefly, one form of pushback that, that some very prominent physicians have encountered is uh, legal, is lawsuits from their professional mm. medical estate. Maybe you could just touch on one or two right. of those. If you, yeah. yeah. So, you know, I think that's, that's the thing is that, and that, that was that uh, Adele's whole idea is that we have this, we have this place where, where, 
because you know if you look back at the at the definition they're talking about p- people with similar training in similar professions in similar communities and so if we provide that community and we and we and we collate all that data we were talking about uh, offline about collating some 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 imaging data but if we collate all this data and all these conversations are in one place and um now we are starting to establish standard of care it's not established yet but it's but it's a long way down the line we have a set of clinical guidelines that everybody that's a member and and there's a on the website there's a there's a thing where you can actually like a petition almost where you can add your name to a list of people that support these clinical guidelines and as that list grows now if 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 a doctor or physician ends up in in court for some reason for advocating this lifestyle change um there are now there's a community of people now that 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 we can draw on that these lawyers can draw on that the judge can ref, can go go to and poll these people and say right like did they did they do the right thing and obviously everyone here is going to say absolutely and and now because it talks about similar training these people you know our community's gone through training about lifestyle interventions for metabolic health so the only people that actually are um qualified to to actually have an opinion here are the ones that have actually done the training because if you haven't done the training then you don't even know so how can you have an opinion on it right and so the lawyers can argue this and that and down the way that i feel gives gives them a lot of uh, of protection that they didn't ever have before and as this community grows and as these conversations grow and as this consensus forms more and more they're more and more protected and um and to and to, to the point where it might be a malpractice suit but there won't be a malpractice suit for advocating this this lifestyle intervention that'll be for something else they did wrong um but not for advocating this lifestyle that won't, won't even ever be an issue anymore that's i can retire then <laughs> uh, because yeah well that yeah this 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 is i can't underscore how i can't say enough how important this is it's such such great work you're doing and i i always i always like to ask as a as an expert in this area because um of, of metabolic health i wonder what uh, if you if you wouldn't mind talking Doug about what personal choices you make you've you've mentioned a little in the beginning but what are you currently doing for for your metabolic health as far as uh, lifestyle or e- even supplements and choices like that yeah so um i it's uh, supplements go i've found that this this diet and i don't like calling it a diet but when we're talking about supplements we're talking about nutrition this diet unless you are you have some kind of condition or whatever obviously that you know all things being equal and without those kind of conditions there shouldn't be any supplementation required that's my personal opinion and i don't take any supplements other than salt if you want to con- consider that a supplement um when we started this like we were you know, like it's so different and uh, being an athlete especially I was so phobic about fat and everything and I was I was having to you know introduce fat back into my diet and have fatty meat and you know full cream yogurt and all that stuff and and it was like 
we we need to compensate for this. And so very focused on the on the low carb vegetables, you know, kale and spinach and broccoli and uh, cauliflower and those kinds of things, and like ate way more vegetables than than I used to before, even when I was on the sad diet, right? But obviously not the potatoes and sweet potatoes and all those kind of things, but the very the low carb keto type vegetables. And like we always focused every day on making sure we had a bunch of these vegetables in, in, on the plate. But over the last five years, and, and, and as I've learned more and more, I've started to learn that vegetables are maybe not quite as, as important as we were, were led to believe. And, um, you know, there's input from the very, from, from the carnival community, which is strictly no, you know, no, no vegetables at all. Um, and yet there's people within that community that are absolutely thriving. And, um, to me, it shows that, that maybe what they're saying is right. Um, one of the examples that I have is uh, Dr. Georgia Ead. She's a, a psychiatrist who came, spoke at a couple of our, uh, she's spoken at a few of our events. And we became really good friends with her. And, and you know, she came, she's a brilliant speaker. And But over the years, she was, st- even though things improved immensely when she went keto, um, she still had some medical issues that she was still battling with. Um, including the, the, the last bit of weight loss that, that she, the platter that she couldn't get off. And she decided to go carnivore um, as an elimination exercise. So the idea was to go carnivore and then start adding things, like see if, if it made the difference and start adding things back until, until things went wrong again. And think, okay, now we know what it is. Um, Oh, she looks fantastic. She she just loved it so much that she she, she never even went to the to the uh, the next phase of adding stuff back again. She's just stayed carnival and um, and swears by it. Um, so I have kind of migrated towards that carnivore type uh, thing. I'm not an avid carnivore and don't refuse to eat have ground pepper on my uh, on my steak because it's uh, because that's a plant you know um which 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 you know the really hardcore carnivores are like that you know um and like pam pam still has some cauliflower rice and you know some spinach now and again and that kind of stuff but most of the time i don't Sometimes it's like got a bunch of cheddar cheese in it and that, and then I'll put it on my plate, you know. Um, so I do sometimes, she does a, a thing with uh, these large shrimps and it's like the amazing dish that she does that has some broccoli and spinach and stuff in as well. And when she makes it, I eat it, you know. But I don't eat a lot of vegetation, as I as I call it. Um but it, it's been a it's it's been a, a as as with everything that that we've been through over the last five years, it's been a, a journey. And and you know, I may learn more down the road that says, well, you know what, you, you maybe you didn't see it, but five years down the road, you're going to see uh, something that that's not ideal unless you add something back. And if the science is robust enough to to 
to show me that that's the case, I'll add stuff back in again, you know. I'm learning every day. Um, but I do yeah. tend, tend towards the, the carnivore side of things these days, maybe in the last year or so, I'd say. Um, so and then I, if yeah. you don't mind me adding in, yeah, one of the sure. other things that we've got at Low Carb USA, if you would have seen Dr. Ben Bokikio, um to me a few years ago, asked if he could do a talk, and we gave him a, a breakout talk that year. And it was such a hit that sort of the next conference and from then onwards, he's been like on, on the main stage. But he's got this concept of, because we all talk about exercise, you can't lose weight by, by exercising, right? You can't outrun a, a bad diet, um, which is true. But his concept of, of high intensity exercise, what he calls smart training, slow, maximum uh, resistance training. And the idea is that you do one set of one exercise for each major muscle group to failure. So you choose the, the weight so that you fail in a window between 30 and 90 seconds. And you fail completely. Like you literally, your muscles cannot do anymore that, that particular muscle group. And then you move on immediately to the next one. Finish the workout in 20 minutes, in 15, less than 15 minutes. And, um, and you do that twice a week. That's it. Wow. And so 15 minutes twice a week. Um, in fact, I think, that's, I think that's, the name, that's the name of his book. Um, 15 Minutes to Fitness is the name of his book, actually. Um, and what he talks about is the fact that this actually activates the same metabolic pathways, what's a lot of similar metabolic pathways to the ketogenic diet. And he's even had patients um, that refuse to, to change their diet who have still had major metabolic improvements just by doing introducing this exercise 15 minutes twice a week. Like anybody wow. can do that, right? And I started doing that in three months. I put on four pounds of muscle mass at the age of like 54, um, literally working out twice a week for 15 minutes. Wow. Um, so that has been... A huge epiphany for me, it's been a, it's, it, those workouts are absolutely a part of our life now. In fact, I've got a, I've got a whole home gym that I bought when COVID hit and we couldn't, uh, we couldn't go to the gym anymore. Um, and now because it's in the house, it's literally 15 minutes. I can walk over there. encourage people to take a look at because it can it can help get people over the hump it can help people who really struggle to especially like if they've got families where they can't they can't get a proper keto diet in because it just just i understand families sometimes just can't do that um because of the other family members and the pressure from them and the, you know the, the need to feed them what they what they want um this is a way to uh, this is a game changer. It really is. It's an amazing thing that people should uh, should be aware of. Great. Yeah, we'll we'll put that we'll put that information down there. As far as devices, uh, do you use uh, CGM or ketone monitors? I assume you're in ketosis all the time. Pretty much. I, I, yeah. Well, yeah. So for the longest time, I just knew I was, and I and I and I yeah. didn't ever. Uh, you know, we couldn't afford to pay for CGMs and stuff like that. But the company called Levels. Um, is building an app on top of this, of the, the standard CGM, and um, they asked me to to trial this for them once, and so they gave me 
um, CGM for a month. And so, um, you know, I, all I did it for the most part, it just validated what, um, what I was expecting. My, you know, my, my glucose is down at sort of, I don't know, 79 to 85 or something. And it just like pretty much stays there unless I do something like a, um, now and again, we're going to have a Starbucks coffee with half and half in it, like brevet, and you'll see the the the, the thing rise uh, up to about 120 or so and then come back down again. And what I did notice was that there was a huge um, spike at the end of my high-intensity workout, which we're still trying trying to understand. I know you, you said you watched the San Diego one, so Arthur Agatston um, – He's in Florida, and he's actually coming to speak at the Florida event as well. But oh, yeah. his 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 facility is there, so we actually want to go and do and do an experiment there, basically like a like a um, a craft test, but instead of a glucose bolus, I'm basically going to do a workout. Oh yeah, because I I, I literally I I know I would I would scan myself before and a few times through the workout, and then just before. Uh, immediately after I finished and it was like 81, 81, 79, 81, 81, all the way through. And then about five minutes after I was just like lying there on the bench, like trying to recover and it shot up to 180. And, and then over, over two, over two hours or something, it comes, comes back down again. So, um, so we want to go and do that. I want to see all the insulin responses and that, and that, um, through that you know, five-hour period, yeah, um, and, and that's at, the, at, at Arthur's uh, at, at his facility. Oh, that would be great, and that's that's coming up for the January Florida. Yeah, program. well, so I think yeah. I think I'm only going to manage to get to get down to his place like after the event. But okay, um, uh-huh. we'll definitely um, we'll probably talk about it at the event, and we will um, you know we'll publish publish all the results and that afterwards because I think it's fascinating. Um, yeah, oh, that's yeah, and and what you were showing on your glucose monitor, it shows the value of those things that exactly. we all yeah. Because I I, uh, I would have no had no idea that that was going on unless I'd had that that thing on. So, like I said, I didn't have any surprises because I wasn't eating any crap, you know. Yeah, um, I wasn't. That's really useful for people that are just starting out because then they can see immediately exactly. like the crap the things that that I didn't know in the beginning. You know that yeah. we thought that we thought were low carb, and they weren't really. Um, those are the, that's a really good learning tool for that. Yeah, um, and the, those companies like that phase, but this this was just like wow, I had no idea. It's yeah, crazy. yeah, it's it's a great tool when you're starting out. And those companies like Levels, uh, their CEO or, or CMO Casey Means, right. Dr. Means is going to be on the program uh, talking about. It. There are several other companies that are. I think Verda uses it, but right. th- these are game changers, really, to let people tune into their metabolism. You know, we yeah. just need Apple to get it on their smartwatch. Oh, they, they, yeah, they, exactly. They just that yeah. needs to get where you don't need a doctor's prescription to get the CGM. I think that's. Uh, everybody, everybody, and especially every doctor should have to wear a CGM because I yes. think that would that would be that would do a lot to yeah. to help some of these guys that have still got their heads in the sand. You know, if there was yeah. compulsory that they had to wear a CGM for a month, um, that's why I think that I think they'd be fascinated. You know, Apple computer. Uh, it, 
Apple is going to put it on their smartwatch, hopefully next year, as well as Android. They have a patent for Raman spectroscopy, so it'll go just go through the skin and do glucose monitoring real time, which will be wow. a game changer. Just like you say, it'll it'll affect behavior. If everyone sees it all the time, think what the, they're going to be aware of their metabolic health, you know, at least the glucose indicators of it. But uh, yeah, gr great things ahead. I how one last thing how about fasting uh is that you mentioned you and jason did some work together jason fung on that not, not not really um he uh he came and spoke at our first event um i haven't managed to get him back to, to anything since then um but i mentioned that uh, brian lenske has uh, learned a lot from him and he incorporated some fasting into like I, I feel like it's a natural progression you know like as as you become properly adapted you're not hungry anymore and eating you know rob Sivers is a big one he says all this high fangled new fangled intermittent fasting he says i just call it eating once a day you know um and to eat once a day once you properly adapted is like um, most of the time I don't even think about it. I'm working and it's like six o'clock, like, hey, I better get something to eat, you know, mainly because I need to get, because it's supper time, not because I actually need, I'm never starving ever. And, but I have never gone past 24 hours. I've never done an extended fast. Um, I think certain people, it, it, it can be of some benefit to them. Um, but I think, Personally, I think that people talk about this quite flippantly, that I think them, once you go past 24 hours, maybe two days, I think Steve Finney even says that. It's just like 48 hours is still okay. But when you start to get into three, four, five days a week, whatever, like, you know, did you, people just need to be careful, um, especially coming back from it. And, and be aware of, of the possibilities of, of um, you know, um, muscle wasting and stuff like that, that some of the proponents claim absolutely categorically that it doesn't result in that. And Steve Finney's saying, well, that's not possible. Uh, if you look at the biochemistry, it's not possible. Um, and so there's a, there's, a, there's a lot of noise out there about extended fasts. Yeah. Um, yeah. 24 hours, 40, even 48 hours, I think, I think are hugely beneficial. Um, but longer than that, I, for me, the jury's still out. I don't, I don't know enough about, about it to, to really um, even want to do it for myself and especially not to advocate it for someone else. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, well, Doug, this has been so much fun today. I appreciate you taking the time to speak with us. Maybe you could um, tell tell our audience uh, the best way for them to follow you on social media and also your websites. We'll put them in the show notes as well, but you could tell them for people who are listening to the, the program. Okay, cool. Uh, so the Low Carb USA website is lowcarbusa.org, not .com, .org. Um, and social media, it's like Low USA for everything. Low USA on Facebook, Twitter, uh, Instagram, uh, YouTube, anywhere. You'll do Low USA, one word. Um, for the SMHP, it's the same thing. It's the smhp.org. 
we have the dot com uh, domain there as well, so that points to the dot to the dot org one. Um, and the SMHP at Twitter, Facebook as well. So the SMHP or Low Carb USA. Pretty much, you search for that, and you'll find everything. Oh, excellent. Yeah, and thanks, okay. thanks again, Doug, so much. It's been great getting to know you this hour and uh, and hearing about all the all the all the beautiful work you're doing uh, to make people aware of metabolic health and and these opportunities that they can go and participate in these courses and have a real uh, immersive experience of community. It, it, it's a great thing. So, thanks, thanks again, Doug, for being on the show. Appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me. No, this is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking of it because of something you have seen here. If you find this to be of value of you, please hit that like button and subscribe to support the work we do on this channel. Also, we take your suggestions and advice very seriously. Please let us know what you'd like to see on this channel. Thanks for watching and we'll hope to see you next time.